Welcome to the Army Talent Management Podcast, where we explore how the Army is optimizing its human capital management practices to develop a ready, professional, diverse, and integrated team of trusted professionals that are prepared to fight and win in a complex world. Talent wins, and winning matters. Hello, I'm Major Delaney Brown. Welcome back to the Army Talent Management Podcast, a podcast that is produced and maintained by members of the Army's Talent Management Task Force. Today, we will tackle some hard questions about the Army Talent Alignment Process, more commonly referred to as AIM 2.0 or the Assignment Marketplace. ATAP, the Army's Assignment Marketplace, was first rolled out in the fall of 2019. It allowed officers to see all of the available positions in the market, and units could see all available officers. Three years and some 40,000 officer moves later, we as a force have learned a lot about how participants can use the system to build better teams. There are best practices emerging around the force for resumes, interviews, and ultimately for preferencing. But we've also developed some healthy skepticism about the assignment process. And no one in the Army knows that better than today's special guest, Major General Tom Drew. Major General Drew is the commanding general of the Human Resources Command. Since enlisting in 1983, he has served in numerous capacities with the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. More recently, he commanded the 101st Combat Aviation Brigade and served twice as the Deputy Commanding General, once with 2ID and once at U.S. Army Special Operations Command. He also served previously as the Director of the Army Talent Management Task Force. General Drew has given a lot of thought to the theory and practice of talent management, so we're especially grateful that he's agreed to share his thoughts with us today. Sir, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. I'm tracking you commissioned in September of 1989, less than two months before the fall of the Berlin Wall. Certainly a lot has changed in America and the world since then. Can you tell us a little bit about how the Army's assignment process for a lieutenant is different today than it is and what you experienced when you commissioned? Well, you know, that was that was a long time ago. Um, but but So there's a lot of minor changes. But the biggest change that I see in the in the assignment process is is the information that the system has on me, the, the, the information that the system finds important um, compared to what it is today. So back then they knew I was a lieutenant of aviation. And uh, if you go back a little bit further, when we, for, when we made Totmus, you know, you, you'll look, every ORB has like the, the aircraft you're qualified in. And obviously we only fill that out for aviators, but because it was so critical, we had to get that so we had that piece of information so that the we have we have added information that the system we here at HRC and and everybody in the human resource uh, enterprise kind of sees so that's the biggest difference so now that we have more information on the on the inventory on the officer side as we look at it systematically so it gives us the ability to do things a little bit different um so Back then, again, we really focused on just a couple of major things, like your branch, your rank, and then if you did something within that branch, we kind of looked at that a little bit. Uh, but now we have so much more data. You know, we can see a lot of other things out there that uh, that we've added over the years in the system, and we can see those. Uh, so if you have the information, what can you do with it? So whether it's education, you know, uh, your goals, things like that, all of those things have morphed over the years uh, to give us the current system because, I mean, obviously our intent in our system that we manage here at HRC is we want to do the best we can for the Army because readiness kind of drives it, um, but we also want to match the goals and assignments and all those things to the, uh, to the family's goals, the individual officer's goals, because some people don't want to take the standard path, and that's fine. 
in the old system, we assumed that everybody wanted to be a battalion commander. Obviously, functional areas weren't a thing back then. Uh, we, we managed that kind of skill differently in the Army back then. But, you know, now we can see these things. So how do we incorporate that in our system so that we allow, you know, these individual soldiers, NCOs, and officers to achieve their goals? And that's kind of how we're changing the system uh, because back then, you know, you you were literally, you were just, you know, a very small piece of a huge machine that created readiness. And now we can see it better. Um, so, you know, we, we need to, and we have incorporated, especially I would say about the last 15 years, more interaction, more more level of detail in in the characteristics, the we call them knowledge, skills, and behaviors in this uh, in this system. Um, we know more about it, so we can make more informed decisions uh, to keep people on track. And in an all-volunteer army, it's important that preference of uh, your force has to factor in. You can't just be, you know, a, a number in this big uh, in this big service. So, I think that's the biggest the biggest change from the system side. But on the you know on the on the society that, that we pull all of our uh, soldiers into, whether you're an officer or, or enlisted, doesn't matter. You know, the society over the last 30-something years has changed pretty dramatically. Uh, and we have, to, we have to be able to incorporate those changes into how we manage people, things that we value in our system and optimize our system to produce. So we, that, and it's kind of a slow process. We're doing the best we can here within the system to accommodate those things and the changes uh, in and around the Army. Uh, but those are the biggest kind of changes, is, is the system has more information on you, and now that we have more information, we're attempting to the best of our ability to incorporate that into any decision I make on your assignment, your career path, and all those things around it. Yes, sir. So when you say we, who's the we? Is that we as HRC? Is that we as the officers? Is that we as proponents? Like, who's the we that's making these decisions with more information now? The we is the system. So, I mean, the, the primary thing, that HRC does a lot of stuff. But the primary thing we do is we are the ones that distribute talent, soldiers, around the Army to fill, to fill organizations and all the other requirements that we have. So when I say we, I'm talking about the system that gives you orders, that looks out at readiness, that produces, you know, um, all of the all of the outcomes that the Army wants. Because some of the things are like, hey, we got to optimize this for, you know, these organizations. Here's a priority. And a multi-domain task force is an example. We need to make sure that we man these, these multi-domain task forces 100%. So I get that. So how do I do that? Well, I've got to see the people who have those skills. And some of those uh, are in, 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 uh, in, in, Deficit inventories, so some of them are around 70, some of them are 80, but if you're not at 100% or over in an MOS, we've got to make some choices. So when I say we, I'm talking about the system and how we communicate these things that we think are decisions by Army senior leaders because every decision we make here at HRC has an opportunity cost of one. So if I send this one, let's say it's a cyber captain to this, that means, as you know, I'm not sending to this other place and in some places that, that creates, you know, there was one authorized and now it's zero. So they have no capability for that particular thing. And we see that in some of our low-density MOSs, whether it's officer or NCO. You know, so we, we are trying to get those to the Army 
to help them make an informed decision. Like, okay, you gave us this guidance. We have to do this, but here's the impact. Um, so when I say we, it's the whole system. And the more I know about the inventory and then where we prioritize requirements, the better off I can do my job and meet, you know, the secretary of the army and the chief's intent on how we, uh, how we provide readiness for, for the U S army. Yes, sir. And so back when you were with the talent management task force and we had, you know, general McConville as the, the chief of staff of the army and secretary Esper, uh, as the secretary of the army. We instituted this Army talent alignment process, this big idea of a marketplace that would help, once we had established the criteria for readiness or which jobs were going to be filled, this new way of creating those decisions about which particular face would fill that one cyberspace that you were just talking about. Can you tell us a little bit about that ATAP or the talent alignment process? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's so again, we're trying to go into a more data-rich information environment so we can make better decisions. So if you look, and and I get a lot of questions on, you know, why do we do the market, you know, in the old system, especially on the unit side, uh, they're like, hey, listen, we told you what our requirements are, just fill it. We don't really care about the name tape. We just want these capabilities. But the thing that the system didn't get in in the old way is preferencing. So if you're going to account, like I said, for the, the, the current demographics in the U.S. Army and the expectations of this all-volunteer force, and we're a people-first organization since General McConville took, took over, well, shouldn't I know what they want to do? So as you look at, um, so I, I guess, you know, and obviously we were, we were in the Talent Management Task Force together, so I've been looking at this in detail for a few years now. So, so in the system, I think we gain a, a more data-rich environment on what people want to do, because we want to keep them in the service. You know, the, the, the highly talented people, we don't want to have a barrier to their service. So I think it has done that. Um, but it also, in the unit side, I think, uh, even though it's, it's, it, we've given them a workload, meaning they're hiring authority now down at the brigade level and higher, uh, they get to see what's out there. So they kind of understand, commanders kind of understand Specifically with the, the, the low density MOSs that we have that are, you know, basically, you know, below 100%, they get to see the impact because they're like, oh my goodness. So I have this many requirements for this MOS and grade uh, in the Army, and I know I don't have enough to fill all the requirements. So when I do this uh, missing essential uh, requirements list, this MER that we get from all of the Army that uh, we're getting ready to go into conference on uh, the 2301 cycle, so the next winter cycle, they, they understand better what's out there. You know, what, what do we have in the inventory that we can redistribute? So I think, um, I think it, it allows us to see preferences, and people, you know, before we go, well, we know what their preferences are. We have the preference statement. So it, we have the system called ASK. Um, so you can go in there, but... So when I got here to HRC, like, well, okay, you're saying we already have the data. Let's look at it. So pick 15 people. Let's go into the system and see what their preferences are. And you look, and some people had it in there. Some people didn't even have any preferencing in there. And if you look at the latency of the data, it's like this is seven years old. I'm sure life has changed. So, so this regulated market that we created gives us dynamic preferencing that allows us to do other things outside of just distribution. So with, with, this, uh, with the data that we've collected over the last three big markets, 
uh, and we're just closing out 2202. Last uh, RFOs will be uh, leaving here this month uh, to complete that cycle. But we, we get to learn, like, what, what's the most preferenced location in the Army? What's the least preferenced? You know, because as on the backside of this algorithm that we run, this Army Town Alignment a- algorithm, we still have to make sure everybody's ready. You can't have all of the all-stars in one place because everybody wanted to go to Hawaii, Fort Carson, you picked a place, and have other places get less than, the, you know, below the median talent. We, we can't do that in the United States Army. So we have to make sure that, that we have this out there. But with that data, we've even, you know, this, these things have only been going on for a couple of years, but based on that quantitative data, you have a compelling argument to go to the G1, the chief, uh, and then sometimes the Congress on incentives on, hey, listen, we, we have to align the incentives in an all-volunteer army to fill these readiness requirements, and we're, we're struggling. So, so we get the data. We get dynamic, real-time preferencing. You know, every time we do a market, we do two officer markets a year in the current form and four enlisted markets. So you can kind of see that's a lot of people. You know, we've had uh, about 100,000 people in the total army, both NCO and, uh, and officer, kind of go through these market things. That's a lot of data that we did not have before. We absolutely had zero of that data before. Uh, so now we, we know a little bit more about our army. Uh, we can start getting ahead of these problems, incentivizing them, uh, because we do have to meet ready, because we don't want to send people to places that they absolutely don't want to go. Uh, that's not really the goal of HRC or the uh, or the chief in this system, but but we're going to have to do that occasionally. But how do we make the conditions so it's like okay, that's not that that's not that bad. And we've done that in some cases. Um, we've said, hey, listen, we really need you for career development and for readiness. I need you to go to this location on the backside. We'll let you have station of choice, and we can kind of see when those positions that they want to go to are open. We can schedule that, and just like uh, General McConnell told us. Uh, a little over a year ago, he wants you to be able to pick the seat that you're going to have on the plane, you know, three flights out so that you can have a little bit more predictability. And, and I think we're achieving that. But the backbone of all of that is the information, the data we're collecting in these markets on dynamic preferencing and our ability to communicate uh, some of those challenges to to not only Army senior leaders, but uh, Department of Defense and then Congress. So if I were to say that back to you, sir, I think I hear you saying that at the individual level, the mover or the officer has agency over their career. They can balance spousal income or spousal career. They can balance their kids' educational needs. Um, at the unit level, you can build your team. You can make your own organization. Um, at the Army level, you know, we can see ourselves. We can see the talents that we have um, resident in the force today. But even then, at the national level, it's almost like you're describing how you could maintain both an effective and cost-efficient all-volunteer force. So, you know, growing up, I always heard if it's too good to be true, it probably is, right? But I just laid out like a win-win-win-win scenario. What, what's the catch, right? There, like everything's got a catch. What's the catch on, on the marketplace then? So, so the catch in the marketplace is, you know, you do run out of great uh, – locations. And, and it varies. You know, we've, we've had people like, hey, listen, I really want to go to Fort Polk. If you can get me to Fort Polk, um, you know, and in most cases we can make that happen depending on the career timeline. But it is a win-win-win if you, if you can be more predictive. And again, with the data that we have now, and it's about 100,000 
you know, movements into this thing where we get dynamic preferencing, now we can kind of get ahead of it, be predictive so that we can say, okay, now that we can see this, our goal here is to let you be as a, as a soldier and as a family, be able to see two, three, four years out. Cause the reason we're doing cycles for, you know, nine months, eight months is because that's where we got to start. But once this thing normalizes and we can, we can analyze it, we can start offering up. And then where do you want to go from there? You know, we have uh, some initiatives there at the Talent Management Task Force, this career mapping tool that kind of lets people go, hey, my goal is to be a battalion commander. Okay, oh, that's what you want. Well, the system can tell you, well, then these are the four jobs between company command and battalion command that you really need to have to be competitive, have the experience to be a good battalion commander. And then you can see for every specialty, you know, where those locations are and the markets that are upcoming. Well, if we can be more predictive and go, hey, listen, you're going to go here out of the career course. You're going to go to this location to be, you know, get your uh, company command, whatever battery command, whatever it is that you do. And then beyond that, you can go to here. Now, imagine a system where you have that kind of predictability uh, in the system where your family can make informed choices. Like you said, you know, one of the dynamics that changed over the last 33 years since I was commissioned is, you know, the dual income families, not necessarily MACP, the Military Army Couples Program, meaning both people in the service, but both people normally are working. So that's, that's, that's more the norm than not as we try to get people in an all-volunteer force to see some predictability. So if, you, if your spouse, like, I really want to get my Ph.D., here's the program I was accepted to. Well, once they're accepted and start that program, it's not like it's a six-month thing. So we have to be able to see that in the data so that we can incorporate it as we look at what your career goals are. Because I want every, I, you know, and the chief, and you've heard him talk, you know, General Combo wants every soldier in the Army to be successful, every single one of them. So what are the barriers to, for that, uh, that success? Well, sometimes structurally we've, we've given them barriers that we haven't done a great job of letting them manage or being predictable, um, but we can do better. And now that we have the data, I do think uh, that, that we can give you a better path. So right now in the market, we're saying, this is your next assignment. In two years, my goal is to go, this is your next assignment. And once we get all the data in there and, and be able to run this, like, hey, you had an 82% chance of going to your primary place for this next job uh, and this, and we can give them a little bit more predictability. And as you close that thing, and once we say, yep, we can make that contract, I immediately Send that in your system so that you know that, you know, in 23 months, I'm PCSing to this location. I'll be here for this long for these kinds of jobs. Because every division, if you're a basic branch uh, officer, every division has these same jobs. And I don't care where you're a company commander. I don't care where you're an S3 or X. So you just have to do that. And all of these locations have that same um, spectrum of jobs. So why can't I tell you? All right, you have to do this. It's in the... The DAPAM 600-3, it says that that's what we're going to do with you. Well, where would you like to do it? And if you can't do it there, where would you like to be? If I can get that in the system, I can run that, and then I can give you that contract. So I think that the ability to be predictive in this modern environment, especially when we get to the future, it's going to be more and more important that we give people stability in what they're going to do. Not necessarily stability in one location, which we're trying to improve that too, but stability and knowing what the future looks like. So 
this this dual income family can go, okay, all right, so they know that I'm getting state certified in this, you know, all, all the professionals that we have, and it's not just doctors and lawyers, but all a bunch of others, this is state certification that's required, some board of the state that has to certify you. We, we create that turmoil. We don't want to have those barriers and just stumble into them where in our system, and we see it fairly regularly, is we put a red line out there for a family. Now, I didn't know it was a red line, but the signal to the system is decline the thing, submit your retirement, or UQR, or ETS. We, we, we want to get ahead of that, and I think we can do that by being more predictive in this system. So, sir, like, let's say my family has a red line about X criteria. Is there a way that I can game the marketplace to ensure that I don't trip that red line, or um, what have you seen from your perch? No, I, I think the market, the, it's really, could somebody figure out a way, some you know, mastermind figure out a way to game the system? Maybe, but, but I don't think, because I've looked in depth on both sides of this market, I don't think there's really a way to game it. Really, I think the best way for you to set yourself up to meet your expectations is to be completely candid in the market. You know, if if you give us the information and all the family, we did, we, we were briefing uh, some Army senior leaders this morning about a situation for you know this is um, PME, but we found out that this this condition occurred, which highly talented person. We don't want them to get out, but I didn't know the piece of data. If I can get that out to the force, so on the backside in the current form on your resume, since once it says. Uh, online, we'll have this 25-point profile, which will have a lot more data in there that now I can incorporate into the decisions I make. But if you can be candid, you won't have to game the system because I, I need to make the best informed decision I can make because my goal is A, to make you successful, and B, give you what you want to do. This is an all-volunteer army, you know, and it's a very complex world that we live in and, you know, most people, you know, it's like, hey, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your service. But if they haven't been in the service, they, they, I don't think they really understand the sacrifices that soldiers make every day, them and their families. Um, we have to account for that. And, and I think you can't really game it. If you can be really honest, I think that's the only way to game it. Because then the system, me here at HRC, I can make the best decision because, again, I want to let you do what you want to do, and I want you to be successful. Yeah, absolutely, sir. So, we, you know, if I am dishonest or if I try to game the system by putting really my fifth choice down as number one in the marketplace, right, because then I can guarantee myself the one-to-one -one match, what I've really done then is remove the opportunity if there's turbulence, if there's change on your end. You said, you know, it's a zero-sum game. Every break creates a new move. I've given away my chance to get one of those top four choices by trying to secure that one for one. And so really that disclosure of your true preferences is crucial to that whole army talent alignment algorithm. Um, but what about for units? Is, does that same, um, can the units game the system? No, I, I really don't. I, again, this, this regulated market, this two-sided market that we have, I, I don't think units can game it other than, hey, listen, these are the, the knowledge, skills, behaviors, and experiences. And some of these get a little bit, and we don't see those in the old system. Well, you could see them, but it really wasn't a requirement. 
But let's say that, that we need to assign somebody to fifth corps that's an engineer officer, that's a major. We'd really like them to have experience in Europe. We'd like them to be able to speak, you know, one of the languages that, uh, uh, of Europe. Well, well if, if we have all those things out there, if I can see that, which that's a little bit tenuous right now because most people don't, they have a lot of that stuff on the backside on their resume, but it's kind of hard for people to flow through. Um, but they get, they get a list. And having talked to all the core G1s, division G1s, they're now getting better um, at looking at the inventory that, that's available to come to them in this next cycle. So I don't think there's a way for them to game it. Now you could you could say, listen, you know, I'm gonna put you number one, put me number one. And yes, the algorithm, the one-to-one -one thing is not, you know, that's I think we communicated that incorrectly because that's that probably is not exactly what most officers or what most units think it is. It is a preferencing model, and then on the backside, the uh, the Army Talent Alignment algorithm runs, but it, it really it has to match all of these other criteria for it to create. Hey, this is you know in the last in twenty two oh two, the last big market, um, the algorithm took care of about ninety six percent of everybody in the market on the unit side, the inventory, and then we have the turmoil that's created by. You know some of the other processes that are outside that uh, that the algorithm really can't see that we have to now start clearing people whether it's EFMP, the MACP thing, which we're we're looking at ways to fix at least the MACP thing because we can do that in our system um, by making a couple of changes of how we view MACP. Uh, so we're looking at uh, we're going through some mission analysis on how we would make it happen in a different way because in the current form. Those EFMP, MACP, and, and there's a few other things that happen uh, that create turmoil. So if this is a priority assignment over here and I have this, the perfect person, but yet that perfect person that I wanted, their family can't travel to, you pick the location because they don't have a provider that does that. Now I have to pull that person, find another job for them. I have to fill that job, and we do that after the market closes. Um, so... Those kinds of things create turmoil uh, in the system. But as far as to your original question, I don't see how a hiring authority can really game it. They've got to look at the pool. They have to preference the same way because when we have to pull the number one out, you know, in, when we see that in there, we look for number two on the unit side. And we just keep going down to make sure that all of this stuff works and, and, and you understand all the, all the algorithm stuff. But it's, it's very, very complex. But you just got to really go, that's the person we want, this number two, three, and however many your, your rank ordering and your uh, preferencing. So, sir, you've got a list of mover preferences. You've got a list of unit preferences. We've talked a lot about preferences in general being the big addition since, um, you know, the start of talent management. Do you see preferencing as counter to the Army value of selfless service or of duty? No, I, I really don't, and, and I have heard that quite a bit, um, you know, especially from senior people. But remember, this is an all-volunteer army, you know. So, I people we want them to be successful, and we want them to be able to to manage their family life, which, as you know, is is very difficult in the army. I mean, we do it, so it doesn't seem like it's all that hard. Uh, but when you step back from it, you're like, yeah, that 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 is really hard. Because you're having to meet your children's timelines, your spouse's timelines, and especially if you're both in the Army, 
you know, all that gets really complex. So I want to know your preferencing. It's not that you're not, don't have the ability to selflessly serve because by wearing this uniform, in my opinion, you're selflessly serving your nation because this ain't easy. Um, but I, I don't think it's a break from the selfless service thing. I want to know because I, and, and I'm sure in, in your time in the army, uh, you've seen it where the system didn't know about the red line and then we crossed it. And next thing, the, the signal from that situation to the army is a UQR or some other form of, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I, I think that by people putting preferences in there, you, you, there's not a hard and fast red line, although we could do that. Um, meaning we could put, incorporate that in the system. Cause I really do an SSC slating. Are there red lines out there in this population, the senior population? Well, I can't see it in my system. I'd really like to know, like, hey, listen, if, if this is the thing that I'm out, uh, well, I would like to know that because <laughs> I'd like to keep you in and, and, and keep you going. But that's, that, that's one of those things that uh, some people are like, well, they should just do what they're told. Okay, all right, that worked 30 years ago. Um, that is not the, the Army we are in today. We have to incorporate that into how we view solving this readiness problem and, and distribution mission. So, sir, as we consider these more additional variables of whatever format that red line takes, do you see trends in the market changing? Do we see drastically different behavior today or outcomes than we did in the 80s, 90s, or 2000s? No, I, no, the behavior I don't think is radically different, but people are now, it's like on the enlisted side, so, so the ASCII M market. So, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, very defined markets uh, there and we're getting dynamic preferencing and just, and, and this is not well known, uh, but, but our, you know, PDNCOs, our assignment officers, career managers, whatever, whatever term you want to use, the, the HRC representative for that branch and grade in their communications, they, they, they do more than people can possibly imagine. They are on the phone all day, every day, talking to individual soldiers about managing their way through this uh, process. Uh, so, yeah, I think, yeah, I would say that that would be the, 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 the touch point in the system to make sure that we don't go um, too far away from, from the chief's big intent and his people strategy of, of getting the people to the places they want to go that does readiness. Because if you want to be a battalion commander, and I'm like, well, I've got to be an S3 or XO, hey, listen, you know, we have these openings right here at this location uh, that will give you that. Well, that's a good piece of information to know. Now, in the old days, I mean, you didn't know that, you know, before we started this market. You had no idea where the jobs were. You know, you didn't. We had this, uh, we had this asymmetry of information between the system, HRC, the one that sends orders, uh, and the field and the officers and NCOs that are in there. Well, now when we open these markets, people are like, huh. So I didn't even know that was a possibility, but that's a possibility. So now we've broken down. And so if, if it's like, hey, I've got these 25 things and number 25 is, you know, you pick the whatever the worst place you can be assigned as a soldier for you. And you get that assignment. You're like, well, how did that happen? Well, I think that's a good transparency thing that, that we get these calls individually. Like, hey, listen, you know, that's number seven. 
you know, our goal is to get you in the top three, and, and we've, done a, we've done a really good job here, especially uh, on the enlisted side, because we've done five of these cycles now, and, uh, you know, they've got the 70%-ish, depending on which cycle you're talking about, and they're top three. I mean, think, I mean you're, you're in there, you're interacting with the system via this Ask EM market, um, and you're, that's pretty good. So if you're outside of that, and so we monitor this, and we're trying to, to do a pretty good job of collecting this data, we get calls like, hey, how did you arrive at that decision? So and I've been down there in, uh, in our listed personnel management director with these NCOs that are doing this and heard these phone calls. Like, hey, listen, yes, this was one of your lower pri priorities, but we can see in your file that you're one of these talented people, and if we want to keep you on this path, I really need you to have this job, and here is the opportunity for you to get this. And on the backside, you know, th this is going to set you up to be promoted, all those things. It will raise your OML number on the, on the NCO side. You have a really, really good chance, if you go here and do this, to be promoted to the next grade quickly. Because if I send you to, you know, I want to go to Hawaii or some other place, um, well, we can. I know what it looks like there. I can see that in my system. Your opportunities, you're going to have to wait a while, which means this next promotion, this, this next evaluation board is going to pass you by. You're not going to be as competitive. So I think our ability uh, and openness to share information, especially since the field, whether it's officer or NCO, they get to see what's out there. And then we are held accountable for why we made the decision we made. And I think that's a good thing. So I can't help but think about what a different paradigm shift that is for branch managers or career managers and what their role is from sort of being that gatekeeper of information or, you know, splitting up the list to your rough tier of talent or your, um, you know, your profile rating to here's all the jobs that are available, you know, kind of let's see what's out there and then ensure on the back end that we've met these Army readiness goals. Have you... Uh, changed your guidance or what was the guidance you gave to your career managers then uh, when you came in to oversee this marketplace? Well, from, from the from the HRC side, my, my biggest um, piece of guidance right after I took command was, hey, listen, you know, you need to be transparent uh, to the point you're uncomfortable with it. So when, when you talk to people, and I talked to a captain uh, last night, as a matter of fact, because uh, when I send out emails, it's got my personal cell phone on there. So, and I say, hey, call me. And they do. Um, so like, well, you know, uh, sir, I, I, I want to know this. It's like, hey, listen, I'm looking at your file. You know, your, your chance of getting promoted to major are just about zero. Now, a lot of people don't want to hear that. But, uh, and I know that that's kind of a paradigm shift. Like, hey, you know, just get to do good on your next job and you'll have a chance. That That's probably not honest on my part if I give them that kind of answer, but, but as, you, as you look at why the hiring authorities didn't hire you, and I had a nurse that called me that was uh, coming out of uh, Hawaii and wanted to go to Fort Lewis, and you know, I didn't get hired there, which is the biggest you know, thing for her specialty, and I didn't get to go to San Antonio. I didn't get... It's like, listen, the only thing I can tell you is I'm looking at your file. Your file, you were probably in the bottom half of that grade. Uh, within the nursing corps, you know? So what do you do with that information? You can, you know, you can quit, uh, which is not the intent of giving them this information. Or you can go, really? I need to up my game. This, the system is telling me 
I need to get better if I want these kinds of opportunities. Um, so I think the transparency, again, even though it makes you uncomfortable, I want everybody here, when they're interacting with the field, to be transparent. Tell them what you see. Not that you're 100% right. Well, hey, listen, I, I think you're, you're in this kind of quartile of, uh, of your grade and, and specialty or not. Or, hey, listen, I, th- I, think, I think you'll be fine. Here's what you really need to do. And that's where being transparent about their file and opportunities is where, where are those opportunities, especially as, you, as it comes to the marketplace. You may not want to go to X location, but that opportunity is really what you need. And when you have those very transparent conversations, it's, it's striking how many times people are like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I want to go there. Because that's the opportunity I need to guarantee success to achieve whatever goal I have in the Army. So transparency, I would say, is something that, uh, that, that we, not that they did it just because of me, but because uh, we've been more and more transparent over the last decade in the Army as, as far as interacting with uh, HRC, but that keep going down that road. You know, because I, I, I want families, even if you're like this captain I talked to last night, if, if, if you are not going to make major, I owe it to you as a fellow citizen to say, hey, this is how I see it. I'm not sure you can overcome it. You can. You're really going to have to crush it. But imagine talking to your family with, hey, listen, all I got to do is this, and then I got a good chance. That's not accurate information. You may want to go, hey, listen, nope, I don't want to do that. I think I would rather for my family do this thing. Okay. But at least they're making decisions for them. Remember, the selfless person who's serving their country, I'm not going to give them bogus information that they make poor decisions off of. I need to give them accurate, transparent information so you know these soldiers and their families make an informed decision about which way they go. Yeah, I almost hear you saying, like, we're giving them this information about where they are right now. You add this coaching element of here's the knowledge, the skills, the behaviors that you could gain to improve your chances or to get towards your definition of success if you go to this other installation, if you go to this other job, and just trying to to use those additional vectors of information um, to get to better alignment for talent or for the even the enterprise at large. But I feel like all of this comes back to you know, what does each individual soldier say they're good at? Or what do they say um, they want? Which is great if you're the individual, but how does the unit then communicate back um, beyond just promotion potential? Or we want you for your promotion potential or not? Well, you know, in the current rules, in the business rules in the market, you know, we're, we're not, you can't, uh, you can't force people to give you their OERs and other things because we don't want to bias this system. Um, but, but how, so how does the, the hiring authority, uh, view who they're preferencing? Well, they have interviews and, and stuff like that. But, uh, but really, I think ultimately, when we get to knowledge, skills, and behaviors, when we get IPSA up and I can see those things systematically, and then the structure of the Army, which is a piece that, that a lot of folks that aren't in this system probably don't get, is, if I have those same knowledge, skills, and behaviors for every position in the Army, in the structure of the Army, at that point I can see which skills we have a surplus of and which ones we have a deficit of. And if I do the market so that it's not by, you know, specifically your MOS, but who has these skills that I need in this position, 
maybe that opens it up a little bit and you get the best person uh, for these positions, but that's not the way it works. But I think in the future, when we really nail this down, that's the revolutionary thing that's going to occur is a data-rich environment on both sides, both the structure and then the inventory side, so we can we can see the, the solution a little bit better because there's different ways you can solve these problems. In the old way, it's like, well, you're a major of engineer branch, you have to do the thing. But maybe they have skills that really need to be over here in this O1 alpha, O2 alpha position, but I really, I don't have a good way of doing that in today's, uh, in today's system. I mean, we're doing much, much better than we did 30 years ago, but the, the leap ahead is really laying out the KSPs for every position, uh, experiences that you may have, other things that, that make you better fit for those. That's something I think that, uh, that we are building to, and I think, and, and I will be here you know, for a little while, and hopefully during my tour here at HRC, I will see some of this come to fruition where we can actually see the Army differently than we do today. Absolutely, sir. I think this Army talent attribute framework that you described, this ability to establish a common language for describing, measuring, even recording talents across the Army is really critical when we talk about moving from just the individual professing this thing to workforce planning of a force of 485,000 or, you know, kind of whatever that final number is. And so understanding KSBs is these innate or developed talents that an individual learns through their assignments, through their cultural experience or civilian experiences, their education, their self-development. It kind of gets us to your initial point of distinguishing individuals or distinguishing jobs and finding those best fits for things beyond just how do I make you a battalion commander? How do I make you um, that lieutenant colonel that reaches 20 years? Because we've changed the goal line with blended retirement, right? We've changed a lot of these parameters over the last 30 years uh, since you commissioned. And so as we create this ATAF or this framework that allows us to talk about the enterprise, I do think we'll see the marketplace start to develop, uh, deliver more on its return on investment. Well, I, I, th I think that gives us, a, so, so and, you, and you've obviously, you know, been looking at this like I have for a long time. What it opens up is things that we can't see right now, uh, meaning opportunities, possibilities to put the best person in, the, in that job. So if you look around the Army, the, the current paradigm is if I'm a Transportation Corps second lieutenant, I go out, I do these things. If I'm a field artillery second lieutenant, I go do, because we can see all that stuff in 600-3 of the things you're supposed to do. But what really is the prime thing, the prime experience that I want every lieutenant in the Army to get, and it's leadership. And so the technical, if I'm an ADA lieutenant, an ADA platoon leader, infantry platoon leader, tank leader, you pick the thing, it's the leadership thing. So I think those, if you go, oh, well, if you were a good leader, um, and that's how we grade you, uh, and the technical thing, you have to be technically proficient, obviously, if you're, you know, a, a, an officer in the Army. But, but that's probably not the primary thing we need to look at uh, when we see where your future is and the possibilities of where you could go. So imagine a system, if once we get here, and I, I do believe this is going to be fundamentally changing in our system, when we can catalog these things and then be able to kind of look at them on this graduated scale of what, what's the most important thing I need as a battalion commander? Is it that you were a quartermaster officer? Was it that you were infantry? Well, no, it's really, can you inspire and lead soldiers to do very hard things? If that's the thing, well, I have this pool. 
but you weren't a, you picked the, the, the skill, the technical skill, I think we'll be able to solve the problem differently to get the right people uh, doing those jobs so that we have the other people that maybe that's not their thing and we all have seen them, phenomenal human beings, great Americans, great Army officers, but being out in front of a formation is not the thing that they're best at. They can go in this route. Well, I think right now we, we do this in, in a... Uh, in a, in a low data way, you know, so if you're a 59, let's say, you know, we put you on that path. Does that mean 59s aren't good leaders? Well, no, that's not, that's not what that means at all. Um, but we kind of put you in this path where you're a permanent staff element at division core and all these places we put 59s. But if we solve that problem a little bit differently, because, you know, just like you, um, you know, you had an interest in doing this because of this and this, and, and, you, and you obviously, since I know you, you're, you're extremely gifted in, uh, in thinking through complex problems and coming up with multiple viable solutions. But that doesn't mean you can't be a battalion commander. But in the current form, we don't see it solving the problem that way. I think once we have all of, all of that data in there, we can fundamentally solve these problems uh, differently than we do today. Because you... We limit people by putting them in these silos, these individual silos, uh, and then we manage them by silo when it's probably not the best way to do it because, you know, leadership is leadership. Um, some of it's technical, and, you know, I've had these arguments with people. I'm a pilot, obviously. Like, well, you couldn't have an infantry guy be a battalion commander in aviation. I'm like, well, of course you could. You know, leadership, is, I mean, they will understand how to make crews uh, and if you want to teach them how to fly, okay, you could do that too. We used to have a program like that. In the, you know, when I joined the Army, uh, my first uh, aviation tour, I mean, aviation wasn't a branch. I mean, my first platoon leader was an infantry officer. The next guy behind him was an ADA officer. So, I mean, we've done this before. So, anyway, but if, if, if we make leadership the, the, the biggest factor in who gets leadership positions... And then, you know, you can cultivate that. Obviously, you've done all those jobs, too. Um, but I, I think that framework will allow the Army to potentially change how we look at these positions in the Army. Because right now, we're really, really siloed in how we look at it. Like, well, no, there's no way you can do that because, you know, that's a, that's a CSSB, and you have to be a, like, are you telling me that this field artillery just phenomenal George Patton of their generation can't lead that battalion? That's not what you're saying, you know, because you know that they would do a good job. And, and on the flip side, for the combat arms positions, I had this conversation with a fairly senior person uh, not too long ago, and they're like, well, we, we, you know, we really don't want to go back. Because when I joined the Army, you know, we had a lot more divisions in the Army back then, uh, and field artillery folks were the CGs of most of them, more than half. So when's the last time a field artilleryman was a combat division commander? Well, it's been a while, um, but but we changed the paradigm, and this conversation led it. Well, we you know okay, I got that one. But I was like, what well, are you telling me that that General Perna uh, would not have been a combat a great combat division commander? Well, no. Like, well, okay, well that's not the black swan, the thing that never happens. We have them out there. We just. Fundamentally, with more data, we can solve these problems differently, just in my opinion. Yep, 
Absolutely, sir. So the talent attribute framework combined with IPSE, or really, you know, the complement of those two databases allows us to redefine or establish really in new terms what leadership is or which leadership attributes need to be paramount in which position. And so um, back up in Big Army, HQDA, you know, we sent out this job analysis survey to every officer, warrant officer under the rank of 05, asking them what talents are needed to perform their, at their individual current duty assignment. Um, when, when you see that information aggregated as you know, the CG at HRC or um, even as just a general officer, what do, you, what do you see that information unlocking? Well, I, I think, again, it helps, it helps us design you know, the, the structure side with KSBs of, of what, what are the requirements. And that's going to, I think we're going to update that just like you do most things in, in, uh, in big systems. You have to have a, an update process to do it. But as you build this thing, you're really going to look for um, people that have these skills. And like I said, over time, I think it's going to morph from, well, you have to be a, you pick the MOS and grade to, hey, listen, if you have these experiences, you know, we do it on the, the sim match for, for CSL, um, but that's not really kind of the, the depth of information that we need to, to have on the structure side. So I think, I think in its infancy, I think this is a great start. But 10 years from now, uh, I believe it's going to be such a data-rich thing that we can make the best decision for the Army and where we, you know, assign this soldier, this officer, um, as opposed to what we're doing now, which we do pretty good. But I do think that we could do it better, and that's the thing that unlocks it, is, is when you match, you know, whether it's 194 KSPs, whatever the final solution um, is on, on what, how we categorize uh, the 42 talents and all the other stuff that, uh, that, that I've read, when we refine that and we say, okay, now, what of these 194, what is it that you need for this job? And then I can see on the inventory side how many people have all of the skills, you know, eight out of 10 skills, and I can make the best decision for the Army and where to assign people as opposed to a good decision, which is what we're doing right now. You know, if you put on your old DCG hats from 2ID or from over in uh, SOCOM, you can, you can see where once you have that inventory of the skills you have now, you can very quickly pivot to what is the training that I need to get these individuals from competent in you know, airland battle to multi-domain readiness and over that 10-year horizon how we can use this to shape workforce planning how we can use this to create those tailored incentives that get people to be an OC that get them to go to Alaska that get them interested in Korea or the Pacific or kind of pick whatever that rising challenge is and you know obviously I'm a true believer but I'm I do worry that 10 years is a really long time for the army to maintain focus on something really any any institution to maintain focus. So what do you see as the biggest weaknesses that could derail this over the next 13 years until 2035? Well, you know, if you, again, and you're part of the Army Talent Management Task Force, which is going to sunset uh, next summer at the end of July, but that the Talent Management Task Force, you know, I think has been the engine to kind of rethink how we do this. Um, so without that, you're, you're right. I think it would, it would kind of wane a little bit in maximizing the stuff that we've started because I, I do. I've done a lot of personal study in all of these systems 
uh, and how and the data. And Chris Sailing is just uh, the best data coach in the world. Uh, she's helped me a lot. She gives me a lot of reading to do, which I actually do. Um, so as you look at that, it's that engine. What keeps it going? So you know, not really a topic for this podcast, but we're looking at how do we. You know, and the chief uh, and the secretary and everybody's kind of give us the mission. How do you trans transfer, transition, you know, the thought process and the engine of this getting to the new system? Because we're going to get the basic system, but we need the, the Bravo, Charlie, Delta. We need, we need to keep improving this thing. So in our, in our, when we look at our structure, we're going to incorporate a piece of that in our modernization and innovation um, branch that we're going to have. Because I have to have somebody look at it. I need a few different skills than I have right now. Uh, you know, in my opinion, you know, the, the biggest limb back of HRC that we have right now, personnel-wise, is horses. I need people that can analyze data to say what data, what other data do we need so I can be more predictive, because the chief gave us the mission to make, make, you know, being a soldier more predictable for soldiers and their families. And as you look systematically at how you would make that happen, I need the people that can really do that well. So I, I think that uh, that by us establishing that, I think we lessen the opportunity for this to kind of wane and just kind of go into something that uh, that is not as useful. Because we can see the future, I think, at least all of us that spent time in the task force and, and us here at HRC, we can see the genius behind where the chief wants us to go. And this is a lasting thing. We just got to keep it going one step every day towards where the chief wants us to go. Got one last question for you, sir, and that's why should we be optimistic about the promises of the marketplace or of the Army Talent Attribute Framework? I think the field should be optimistic, you know, because although, um, and I've not been here very long, but I'm sure that, you know, the system has made some some not-so-great decisions for certain families or soldiers, um, but but I th- I think they should be optimistic is is we don't want to make any zero bad decisions, and the more that we have the Army Talent Alignment Framework, this marketplace as we get dynamic data, it allows us to not make bad decisions, uh, and so that we're we're at the tipping point of hey listen we're doing good so that the the algorithm like I said for this last officer market ninety six percent that's pretty good so that means that we we have enough data. That that 96% of these people, you know, are getting, you know, their preferences, and whether it's the top three, top five, it depends on how you you analyze the data. But I, I think they should be optimistic because we don't let up. Every day, you know, we're out here and we are on the soldier and family side. We've been given that mission by the chief, and uh, and I walk through this uh, headquarters and I go down into the office personnel management directorate and listed side. Everybody is focused on the chief's intent, uh, and so I think they should be optimistic that this market, where we're going, is going to get us to a better way to solve, uh, you know, the readiness and, and, and all that stuff in the army. So there's no reason to be pessimistic because we're trying to make it better every day. And you know, for people who are listening to the podcast, if you have an individual situation that the system didn't account for. Please let HRC, you can, you can let me know personally, but we have places that you can get this information because those signals help us redefine the system to account for that 
whatever that circumstance is. And we see that, you know, because we, we do get, uh, we have a call center and we collect them. I mean, we really do a good job of cataloging and every person gets to input like, huh, that's interesting. So the system that we have, whether it's the algorithm or how we actually clear the market, doesn't account for that. Hmm, we need to make sure it accounts for that. Um, so again, I think it's going to get better and better and better because, uh, because that, that's our intent, is to never make a de- bad decision. That's why, in my opinion, everybody should be optimistic about where we're going in the market. Wonderful. Thank you for your time, sir. We appreciate having you uh, with us today. Well, thank you very much. Have a great day. Soldiers first. On that note, we'll wrap things up. To our guest, sir, thanks for being with us. And to our audience, thank you for joining me today. Subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. And for more information, visit the Talent Management Task Force website at talent.army.mil. Thanks for joining us today. Talent wins. Winning matters. The Army Talent Management Task Force would like to thank our listeners for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information on Army Talent Management Initiatives, or if you have an idea for a future podcast, please visit our website at talent.army.mil. Don't forget to share with your colleagues.